Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Niner, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Words matter, don't they? I, uh, words spoken to us and words that we speak to others matter, don't they? I have a friend of mine that I'm in ministry with who lives in Ohio. He and I do work together helping other churches around uh, the country. And he was telling me a couple of weeks ago how uh, his mother passed away a year ago this December. And he said, one of the best things that we did as a family was the previous year, before we really knew she was sick, we discovered this website, and I can't remember the name of the website, so if you're interested in this, I'll I'll find it for you. But the website is you pay a fee, and you put someone's email in, and every week for a year, they get an email with a question. And the goal is the person receives the question and writes their answer. And it can be short, it can be long, it can be whatever they want, but it's a question that spurs something about them, about their past, about their life. So they gave this gift to their mother so that she could give a gift back to her family about her life, about what she thought, what she valued. And for 52 weeks, she began to answer these questions. Well... She passed away before the, the last three questions. But the following Christmas, they got the book. And so what they do is they take all these answers and they put them in a bounded book. And so they as a family got to open this book for Christmas, mourning the loss of their mother for the last year. But then they had her words speaking to them. And they said, we all sat around, it was like all the other gifts just kind of faded off into the distance. And we just sat there with my mother's words, telling us about her life, telling us about what she dreamed and what she thought. And he said it was amazing because the last entry was to his children and each one of them individually saying basically this, love Jesus with all your heart. There is no greater gift, no greater treasure. No one has been more faithful to me. No one has loved me better. No one has been more sure and reliable. And I just, you know, just loved you. And they're reading it and they're like, we're all weeping. Like it's just, but you think about the power of words, right? I remember the first time that Tara told me she loved me. February 14th, 2001. I'm on the phone in Florida. I had just moved there. I thought I was ne- I, I thought I didn't close the deal with Tara. She ca- she was still in Texas. I went to Florida and I'm like I just let her get away. And then she's on the phone and she tells me, "I love you." And it stopped me in my tracks. Right? Words matter. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45, talking about, and and he tells this kind of parable that a good tree bears good fruit, right? And we'll know a tree by its fruit. 
and find, and then he finishes that by saying, out of the abundance of the heart, a person speaks. Likewise, God speaks from his very nature. From the abundance of his heart as God, he speaks to us. And the nature of God's word springs from the very nature of God himself. Just like our words flow out of what our heart really is. The deeds of our lives show who we really are. This is why it's interesting to me when you, when you hear people say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but have no energy for God. I'm sorry, you don't love God. You might like the idea of loving God, but don't dilute yourself. I think part of what could help all of us if we were just honest, <laughs> right? Listen to what Psalm 19 says in verses 7 through 11. This is King David. The, uh, Psalm 19 is known as like the two books of the Bible or the two revelations of God where the first seven verses talk about creation and how it's all for his glory. Right, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But then in verse 7, picks up about the Word of God. Starting in verse 7, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord <clears throat> is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Look at all of the ways and what a rich and high view King David, who's the Psalms author, has of the Word of God. Look at its characteristics and look at its effects. This also tells us something, not only about the nature of the Word, but about the nature of whose Word it is. God's Word revealed <clears throat> in all these various ways, law, testimonies, precepts, commands, he says is perfect, that it's sure, that it's right, that it's pure, that it's clean, that it's true, that this word is more to be desired than gold, that it's sweeter than honey. This is because God is all of these things. He is perfect. God is sure. God is right. God is clean. God is true. God himself is more to be desired than gold. And he is sweeter than honey. And out of that comes his sure, right, perfect, desirable word. His word is a beautiful gift to us. It is a profound gift that I pray we take seriously and that we put it in the place of priority in our lives. As we begin our journey through the book of Genesis, we are spending time looking at crucial foundation stones 
laid in the first three chapters. We're, we're going to spend, I think it's eight weeks total, just looking at what do we see that is critically important for us to know out of the first three chapters of Genesis. We're not necessarily going what's called verse by verse through this. We're going and looking, and, and we're going to look, like today, we're going to look all through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Darren last week looked at this idea of what, what does it mean that God's creator Today we're looking at the nature of God's word because what we see being laid for us in these first three chapters, these massively important theological and biblical teachings, they carry massive significance for everything that comes after it and therefore massively affects the whole of life and the whole of the life of faith. So far, like I said, we've looked at what does it mean that God is our creator And I would encourage you, like it's one thing to say God's the creator and then we move on. But no, learn to ponder that. What does it mean for us that he is creator? What does that mean about you and your life and what your authority is and what you bend the knee to? Who has the right to tell you what's right from wrong? Who has the right to tell you what life should be about if not the creator? We're also going to look at things like creation order. Why is that important? We're going to look several weeks at what does it mean about us and being made in his image. But today we're going to look at what we learn about God's word in the first three chapters. And this is the big question or the big idea that is going to kind of surround everything that we're going to say today. How we view God's word impacts everything. And as we journey together, would you consider taking inventory, so to speak, for your own life around some of these important questions? How do you view God's word? How do you view the scriptures? When a Bible is held up in front of you, how do you view that? How does that impact your posture and your engagement with them? How do they impact how you see God? How you see yourself and the world around you? Who and what has the authority to govern your life? And all of that is impacted by this, which is rooted in God being our creator, because ultimately, to whom are you accountable? To whom have you given the right to be your authority? The first thing we learn about God in God's word is that God's word is first and foremost authoritative. Turn with, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. So forgive me. I'm going to try to keep this simple, but I pray that we can do business. with. L- listen to what, I, I'm just going to do a cursory reading of Genesis, uh, of some spots in Genesis. You could try to follow along. I'm going to go kind of fast. So we have in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of 
of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And then you're going to see this repeated pattern through Genesis 1. And God said, God called, God commanded, so, so now if you flip over, like, like look at uh, Genesis 1.26, right? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice a lot of repetition there. We'll get to that later. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. So right away, we see God speaking a command to who he's made. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, you see that, that, that God commands. In verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall not eat of this one tree. And so what is this showing for us? This is showing for us, we, we think about this idea of it's all rooted of in the beginning, God existing in eternity past, no beginning. And from this, he calls things into being. He repeatedly says, and God said, and God said, and God said, God called, God called, God called, God commands. Stemming from God's power and inherent authority as creator, so his word we see is powerful and authoritative. God's word caused events to happen and things to come into existence. And by his authoritative word, his will is accomplished. We see God's authority in Genesis 1 to 3 in that he decrees things to be and they are. Like, here's a foundational point we cannot negotiate on. If you, begin to nego if you begin to wander off of this, you are wandering off of Christianity. That God created all things from nothing. However that happened, if we begin to walk off of the truth that God created all things from nothing and he did it by the power of his word, if we start to wander off of that, you're wandering out of Christianity. Like, like, and, and there are people wandering from that, trying to hold to Christianity. But what we see is that God decrees, there's, let there be light, there's light. Let there be an expanse, I want there to be an expanse. Let there be animals, let there be this, let there be that. And he creates things. We see the, his authority when he commands Adam. When he commands mankind, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. He commands Adam. He declares what's right and what's wrong, what's good. All of this showcase his inherent authority and that of his word. God's word is eternal, stemming from God himself who is eternal existing in the beginning before all things. That's a wild point. But do you know that the Word of God existed before anything was made? 
We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But there was communication going on between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And out of that eternality, he speaks. Springing from his overwhelming eternal magnitude, he upholds and governs the universe by the word of his power. Look at what Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9 says. Psalm 33, Darren preached on this last week. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And then you look down at verse 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So God's word not only creates, God's word solidifies. God's word upholds. God's word continues to govern. Second, if we extend this out to the broader, if we, if we, if we get, extend out out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we see, like for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that this same characteristic of God's word extends to all of the words of Scripture. Every word in this book, when Paul writes this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is why we can't just say we're quote-unquote red-letter Christians. You guys ever heard of that phrase, a red-letter Christian? These are the people that buy Bibles where in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the words that Jesus is quoted as saying are in red. And there are, and there are people that will say, well, those are the inspired words, but Exodus isn't. You know, we, we don't hold, you know, we look at some parts of the Bible as God's word, but not all parts of the Bible as God's word. The scriptures don't give us that latitude. The scriptures say, no, they're all God's word. Jesus himself affirms that it is all the word of God. And so the, the words of Leviticus 17 are as authoritative as Jesus in Matthew 5. The words that are inspired by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 are the same weight and authority as Genesis 1. It is all breathed out by God. From this profound verse as an example in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. We get the basis for why Scripture is inherently authoritative. It's because it comes from God. who holds all authority, and there is no greater authority than God, we learn in Hebrews. When God gives a promise to Abraham, we'll get to him in a couple, couple months, God gives Abraham some promises, and God had no one greater to swear by, because there is no higher authority than God, which means there is no higher authority than his word. Do you see the connection? This is why Jesus says in John 10, 35 that the scriptures cannot be broken because they come from the one who is unbreakable who is unchangeable and who is unhindered in all things i like what uh this quote from a man named tim challies who's also quoting an old theologian so that's a quote within a quote it's a quote with a quote in it and it says this 
the words of God reveal not only his power and authority, but also reveal himself. John Frame, this is now the quote within the quote, says, the word is the very presence of God among us, the place where God dwells. So you cannot separate God from his word. You see, this is profound. How we view the Bible impacts everything. And if we understand we cannot separate God from his word, and if we believe that God is the eternal righteous creator, then that means his authority is spoken to us with authority through his word. God's word is authoritative. What is the authority in your life? Here's what culture says. Let your heart be your authority. You be your authority. The scriptures say, no, God is your ultimate authority. We also see as we move on, there's so much we could, each one of these is a sermon series, so bear with me. We're, we're doing a flyover. We also see in these opening chapters of Genesis that not only is God's word authoritative, but God's word is effective. God's word is effective. If you were to read through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, here's what you're going to see. You'll see things like God says, let there be light, and there was light. You'll see this phrase repeated all through Genesis 1, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. His judgments are carried out. He pronounces judgment for violating his law, and it happens. Any women in here give birth? Was it painful? I've heard, I'm told it is. That is showing the effectiveness of of God's word over humanity that has rebelled against him. Everything God decrees to be done will be done. God's word will always accomplish its purpose. It can never be overcome and it will never ever return void. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11 say this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God speaks his word to the world. God continues to, to, to declare his word to the world. And he says, everything that I've decreed to happen will happen. I do not plant seeds that do not grow. I do not put out things that are foiled plans. I have a lot of things I've put out there that, that are foiled plans. Let me give you just one practical example. And I don't think I'm alone. How many of us have connected with someone that we haven't seen in a while? We're like, hey, we should do dinner sometime. And then you walk away. You see him two years later. Oh, hey, we should do dinner sometime. <laughs> right? We, we're still trying to get together. Right? 
God's word never comes back void. This means that we can rely on God's word, that they are the path of righteousness, that his promises are sure, and that anything that he decrees to be done will be done. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, do you know that's not a hopeful plea? That's not a cross your fingers, I hope you get what you want, God. No, it is a declaration saying, let that be done on earth as it is in heaven. His word will never be broken, it will never be stopped, and will never prove unfulfilled or unfruitful. Next, we see, as we read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is that not only is God's word effective, but God's word is judicial. God's word is judicial. Now, this is part of what we have to, 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 to come to grips with, with who God is. Because God is not just this benevolent Santa Claus and nice uncle that sits up in heaven to rub our back and give us everything we want. God is the eternal creator and from his authority declares what is good and what is wrong. Looks at what he owns, which is everything, and has, and has planned and measured out how things should operate. And when that's violated, that, is not the, that, that, that isn't an effect like committing adultery, but it is also looking at the perfect law giver and saying, I like my way better. And it creates now that God is also our judge which means that he is judicial in how he engages with a broken world that's rebelled against him. He has to. We want a God like this. We all know we don't want wrongs to go un, unpunished. We want justice. The problem is we're not the arbiters of it ultimately. God is the arbiter of it, not only for the world but for us. And here's where we see his judicialness being seen, not just in judgments but in declaring what's good. All throughout Genesis 1, he says, and it was good, and it was good. It, the light's good. Heavens and the earth, good. Mankind made in my image, good. Animals running around the world, Good. Vegetation sprouting, good. Marriage, good. As a matter of fact, he declares it all very good. He also, men thank God for this, he also looked at man and said, it's not good that man should be alone. Whew. Thank God I would eat Rice Krispies for every meal every day. <laughs> You're more than that, baby. You're way more than that. You're way more than that. I was the first one that came into my head. <laughs> I'd be a mess. I would be a mess. But we also see God being judicial. And we're going to get to this later when Adam and Eve have rebelled. And God comes to Adam and says, where are you? God wasn't asking where are you in Genesis 3 to get information from him. It was to cause Adam to go, <sighs> I'm rejected you. I've rejected you. 
We see him being judicial as he, as he engages the serpent, as he engages man who rebelled, and as he engages woman, and he renders justice. By his word, we know what's good and evil. By his word, we are held accountable, and he renders to us according to how, you, how we have responded to him. His judgments are right. Since he is the everlasting creator of all life, he alone has the right to render ultimate judgment. This is not for our hands to hold or anyone else's. There is no greater or higher good than God. Therefore, there is no sure word able to render better judgment on right and wrong, good and evil. He himself is the standard. This is why Proverbs chapter 30 says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. God's word is judicial, but God's word is also life-giving. Oh, it's life-giving. From the life found in himself, from that he creates life and then orders it to reflect his glory. He is the unmoved mover of life, giving motion to all things. I think this is why Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul, if we go to Acts 17, is preaching the gospel to philosophers, and he says, God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We have motion because he is. We have life because he is. He causes the seas to teem with life and blesses life to be fruitful and multiply. God declared that humankind should be made in his image, and he made it so. What a gift it is. You are made in the image of God. Nothing else in all creation is made in his image. Mankind is not the scourge on the earth. Man, the earth was made for us. And he blessed us and extended to us the tremendous purpose of saying to be fruitful and multiply. We're going to talk way more about that in weeks to come. He's given us the life-giving purpose of exercising authority and to rule on the earth. It's, it is enough now just to say that being made in the image of God and given the responsibilities we have been given by Him means that our lives, it means that your life has tremendous significance, has tremendous meaning, not one that you've conjured on your own, you don't think big enough, but one given to you by your Creator. We were made to know God and to represent Him and His good purposes on the earth. Oh, what a life-giving God He is. Which is why the next point is also important to keep in mind. God's word's not only life-giving, but God's word is relational. God reveals himself and desires, uh, and, and his des he, he reveals himself and his desires to us through his word. Think about this. Now, I love how Darren set this up. We're not trying to walk through Genesis 1 to go, how does Genesis 1 line up with science? I believe they do line up but not in the way we think. There's bigger things being taught to us in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 than just, how did God make the atom? 
Is it, is it millions of years old? Is it six days? That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is there's a creator who birthed things from nothing and he did it through his word and he created image bearers in his image to relate to them. And that through them he would do something great in the world and he, can, and he reveals to us those things. He reveals to us as he speaks with us. Think about it. He spoke to man, to man and woman. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He blesses us. God's word, uh, you know, uniquely and intimately speaks to us. He relates to his people through his word. We know him through his word, not in a general way, but in a specific way. See, we see in creation... Romans 1.19 tells us, we see that there is a God and that he has a great power and a divine nature, but we can't know him specifically. This is why I think it's really funny that the atheist Richard Dawkins says that creation has the appearance of a maker, but doesn't really have a maker. That's a bigger leap than I'm willing to make. <laughs> but... We need God's word to specifically reveal himself to us. I love what Wayne Grudem says in his book, Systematic Theology, where he says this. He says, therefore, we depend on God's active communication to us in Scripture for our true knowledge of God. So creation gives us a general. There's a creator, and he's pretty big and great. You ever stood by a mountain? <laughs> You're like, something bigger than me made that. Have you ever looked at the intricacies of like subatomic particles? Not that I'm a scholar or anything, but like down to the smallest detail, things are amazing. DNA is amazing. Stars are amazing. And you're like, wow, God is powerful, eternal, and, and, and just completely divine, but I'm not really sure who he is. And God says, oh, I'll show you who I am. I'll specifically tell you who I am. He leads us by his word. And, we know his, and as we know his word, we're able to hear his voice, know his heart, know his desires, know his ways. We are able to know him. You cannot know him apart from his word. So far in the opening chapters of Genesis, we've seen that God's word is authoritative, that it's effective, that it's judicial, that it's life-giving, and that it's relational. But we also see that it gives us hope. God has revealed himself. That gives us hope. God has told us what is necessary to know in life. That gives us hope. And God has revealed to us what is wrong and his plan to redeem it. Genesis 3.15. That gives us hope. But as we close, this is the most important thing to remember. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Colossians chapter 1, 
Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or rulers or dominions, all things created through him and for him, because this is the biggest beautiful thing that we see, is ultimately God's word is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is authoritative. Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is effective. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is our judge. He tells us that, uh, Paul tells us that the world will be judged in Jesus Christ and has shown that by his resurrection. Jesus is life-giving. John 10.10, I come to give life and life abundantly. Jesus is our way to a restored relationship with God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus is our hope. He is the sure guarantee that we will be raised to new life. How do you view the word of God? Do you view it as the word of God? This is why our first outcome for being a disciple is that we commune with God daily through his word. Do not be a malnourished follower of Jesus. Feast on the scriptures. If you are not engaged in the word, I don't know what to tell you. The secret sauce is by reading the scriptures and allowing God to do business in your heart and to do it in community with other people pursuing the word. If you're not doing that, you are a malnourished Christian. And you're remaining in immaturity. When there is so much more for us than that. And do you see Christ and treasure him as the living word who took on flesh and blood and suffered in the place of sinners on the cross and rose again, validating not only himself, but every word in this book. The resurrection sets him and this entirely apart. Oh, let us see it rightly. Let us treasure it as it needs to be treasured and not waste a day by not engaging it in some way, shape, or form. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, and God, that is a lot, and I, I know. But yet, God, what, what a gift you've given us in the scriptures. And God, we have often just called it the good book, the basic instructions before leaving earth, and all of that diminishes it for what it is. When your word is you revealing your heart and yourself to us, what a glorious gift. And you have ultimately revealed yourself through Jesus Christ who is the living word. May all of our lives be found in him. May we treasure you, treasure your word, treasure Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.